The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Kevin Wynn, who was 25 at the time, went missing in the early hours of December 9th, 2018. His family said he was kicked out of a bar called the Brass Rail on Broadway after an altercation, and that's the last they've seen or heard from him. Family, friends, and strangers have been hoping to find him or hear from him ever since. The following Sunday, nearly 150 volunteers and family members gathered at Lakeside Park to continue the search. The family searched the banks of the St. Joseph and St. Mary's Rivers, and also the area around the Brass Rail. The following Thursday, they found his glasses broken in the parking lot of the bar. Kevin's family stated that his vision was very bad and the fact that his glasses were broken and left behind was a very bad sign and there's no way he'd be able to make his way around without seeing. Management at the bar told the family that Kevin had entered the bar four times the night he went missing. There's an Arby's down the road from the bar that had given the family two videos. They show Kevin walking by the restaurant alone, one around 1.40 in the morning, the other around 2.45 in the morning. The Brass Rail has given their surveillance video to detectives. But after two long years with no word, the family has become less hopeful. Many people believe he had broken his glasses and without his vision simply stumbled into the river and drowned. But if this were the case, the body would have been found during the multiple searches of the river, or at the very least, the body would have been washed up somewhere by now. In 2002, Michaela Lawrence, who was 12 at the time, and her entire family received news that her father had been in a fatal car accident. His body was barely recognizable from the wreck. The family, of course, opted for a closed casket funeral. A few weeks after the funeral, things started appearing in the mailbox of the Lawrence household, small packages with Michaela's name written on them. The packages would come once every few weeks. The first package was a small knick-knack type item. It was a decorative model glow-up Big Ben clock statue. It was a familiar piece that Michaela's mother recognized from the house somewhere. A few weeks later, another package came. This package contained an old antique stopwatch from the 50s. It didn't work anymore, but once again it looked familiar to Michaela's mother. None of the packages said who they were from or where they came from. A few more weeks later, on Michaela's 13th birthday, a card in an envelope ended up in the mailbox, and written on it was Michaela's name again. The card was a happy birthday card, but once again the mother recognized this card and the handwriting was familiar. It was the handwriting of her thought-to-be-deceased husband, but it was a card that the couple had given to their daughter years ago, and it was signed, Love Mom and Dad. This confirmed her suspicions that the items that had been arriving in the mail were possessions from the house, those of her husband's. She tried to check the safe in the bedroom closet to see if anything was missing, but mysteriously the safe combination no longer seemed to work no matter how many times she tried. She tried going to the police about the packages at her house, but police couldn't do anything except advise to install some kind of security system. To this day, it's not known who sent the packages or how whoever sent them got a hold of them. Frauke Liebs disappeared on June 20, 2006 from the town Paderborn in Germany. Her body was found almost four months later, on October 4, 2006. The circumstances of her disappearance are mysterious. 
especially since she's believed to have made contact with her friends between her disappearance and her death. 2006 was the year of the Football World Cup in Germany. Frauke met with some friends at the Old Triangle Irish Pub in downtown Paderborn to watch some of the games. Her mom dropped her off at the pub around 9pm. During the Sweden-England match, she exchanged text messages with an acquaintance until the battery of her cell phone ran out. She then borrowed the battery of her friend, but the friend said that she returned the battery before leaving. At about 11pm, Frauke left the bar. It's assumed that she walked home because she was said to only have about 5 euro on her at that point. Her flat was about one mile away from the pub. Nobody knows which path she took, because nobody saw her after she left the pub. Her flatmate Chris claimed that she never arrived in the flat. At 12.49am, her roommate received a text from Frauke, which stated that she'd be back late. She did not appear at work the following day, and after she was not in the apartment, Frauke's mother reported her missing. Over the next few days, Frauke contacted her roommate five times over cell phone, the calls were usually short and during the evening hours and did not contain a lot of information about her situation. In the first calls, she hinted that she would come back soon, but answered further questions evasively or mysteriously. The last phone call was received on the evening of June 27th, while Frauke's sister was present. Frauke got asked by her sister if she was held against her will, and she supposedly said yes, but then immediately corrected herself by saying no in a louder tone. After that, the contact of Frauke was lost. According to police, during these phone calls, Frauke's cell phone was in various industrial zones of Paderborn. The police also assumed that the calls were placed from within a car that was driven to those areas. The case was never solved. Jack Wheeler held many important positions throughout his lifetime. He was a chairman for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund, a senior planner for Amtrak, an official of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and more. His value to his community made it much worse when Jack disappeared on December 28, 2010, after exiting an Amtrak near Wilmington, Delaware. He was later seen on December 30th at 10th and Orange Street in Wilmington. On December 31st, his body was discovered by a landfill worker as it fell onto a trash heap in the Cherry Island landfill. His death was later ruled a homicide. His death was ruled to be due to assault and blunt force trauma. It was determined that all the stops the garbage truck had made that day involved large commercial disposal bins in Newark, a few miles from Jack's home. Prior to Jack's death, he was sighted several times. On December 29th, he was sighted at the Newcastle County Courthouse parking garage. He was disoriented and wearing only one shoe. He tried to gain access to the garage on foot, claiming that he wanted to warm up before paying the parking fee. He told the attendant that his briefcase had been stolen, and he kept claiming that he wasn't intoxicated, but the attendant didn't believe him. It was later determined that his car was in a different garage. This was the last CCTV footage taken of him. Later that day, Jack asked a pharmacist in Newcastle for a ride to Wilmington. He reportedly looked upset at the time. The pharmacist offered to call him a cab. He then left the store. On December 30th, he was seen wandering around various office buildings. Several people asked if he needed help, but he refused any assistance. This case has still never been solved. Lastly, we have the disappearance of Brian Schaefer. In 2006, Ohio State student Brian Schaefer went into a bar and never came out. He was out with two friends one night and they went to a bar called the Ugly Tuna Saluna. This bar had a front main entrance and a back entrance for staff and entertainment both of which had cameras pointed at them. 
Around 10 p.m. that night, Brian called his girlfriend to tell her that he loved her. Soon after, Brian is seen on camera entering the bar, and then later seen stepping out of the bar to talk to two girls before going back inside. Minutes before the bar closed and they were preparing to leave, Brian told his friends he was going to talk to the band. Brian walked away out of sight and his friends waited for him, but he was never seen again. This was not a large bar and the band does not remember talking to him. On top of it, the cameras never caught him exiting the bar. No one knows what happened to Brian after he walked away from his friends or how he left the bar, or if he ever did for that matter. An FBI agent who was specialized in facial recognition spent a long time analyzing the security footage of the bar and watched every person who came in and out of the venue. He never identified Brian leaving, but years later, after he had stopped working on the case, he was at an Ohio State football game and saw someone across the crowd that he couldn't help but think looked very much like Brian. In fact, he bore such a resemblance to Brian that the agent had to go and talk to him. It turned out it was Brian's brother, proving just how good the agent's facial recognition abilities were. Brian's girlfriend called his cell phone every day for weeks, and it always went straight to voicemail until one night when it actually rang three times, then went to voicemail. This was unexplainable. The truly weirdest part about this whole thing is that the last footage of Brian was him re-entering the bar. No footage was ever found of him leaving the bar, which has led to theories that he never did leave. To this day, no one knows where he is.